listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. As we're making our way through the story, is we want you to be able to give a clear, concise answer when somebody asks you, like, what is this Bible that you Christians believe? What is it all about? What's the, the plot line? What is the summary? And in three distinct points, um, we want you to be able to give an answer for that. So if you know it with me, you can, you can say it. The Bible is the story of God's great love for us, how far we have gone from that love, and how far God was willing to go to get us back. So the next time someone pulls you over on the street and says, what's, what's going on with this Bible thing? You have uh, a good answer to, to give them. Stan, I think my slides maybe came in like backwards or something. Again, that happens. But um, This week we are in chapter 3 of the story, which basically covers the last quarter of Genesis. Now, the Bible is, is kind of like a movie in the sense that it doesn't go at a consistent pace the whole time. Like, it'll, it'll do a, a big flyover uh, maybe for a while, and then it'll slow down for a bit, and then it'll pick up the pace and go faster. Well, what happens at the end of Genesis is it really slows down. So it's like you're watching it unfold in half speed kind of, right? And we zoom in on this story of Joseph. And God really wants us to know something about Joseph because he spends a lot of time double-clicking on him, and uh, he's the guy we're going to focus in on today. Now, Joseph is one of the, the 12 sons of Jacob. You remember Jacob? Jacob had another name. Do you remember what it was? Israel, right. God changed his name when he wrestled with God. I love that image, wrestling with God, right? And he came out of that, and God had blessed him. And there's these 12 sons of Israel, the 12 tribes, Joseph is his dad's favorite, and he gets special treatment from his parents, right? Just like every single youngest kid in every family. Any younger kids who are youngest in your family, raise your hands. We can all shame them after the service, right? You guys, I'm sorry, you had it easy. The older ones, we were the guinea pigs. Mom and dad did not take it easy on us. So you're welcome. No bitterness here, you can tell. Not like my parents are here today or anything. Um, Anyway, Joseph is his dad's favorite. He gets a little too big for his britches, and as you can imagine, his brothers don't respond too kindly to this. In fact, they hate him for it. They throw him into a pit. They sell him as a slave to these Ishmaelites who are passing through. He eventually ends up in the house of this guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar, that's all going well until Potiphar's wife accuses him of something that he did not do, and he gets convicted for it. He ends up in jail, in Pharaoh's jail. But even there, even there, God doesn't abandon him. And in fact, he uh, finds good favor in the eyes of the warden, and God gives him success in, in everything that he does. And he, he prophesies correctly these dreams. And eventually, word gets all the way up to Pharaoh. And after Joseph interprets one of Pharaoh's dreams, Pharaoh makes him basically the vice president of Egypt, right? He makes him his right-hand man. So Joseph has risen to this position of, of power. But here's what I want to focus on this morning. 
It's toward the tail end of Genesis. There's a famine in the land, and Joseph's brothers, the ones he hasn't seen in 20 years, in fact, the last time he saw them, he was looking up from a pit. They come to Egypt because they need food, and they come right to Joseph. And at first, they don't recognize him, but eventually Joseph reveals himself to them. And when they discover that their long-lost brother, the one they've done these terrible things to, uh, when they discover that he's in a position of power, they get scared, right? Understandably so. You know, they're, they're worried he's going to be angry about the past. He's going to take sweet revenge on them. And he's really just going to let them have it. But Joseph is going to surprise them all. And that's where our text picks up this morning. This is Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. I'll give you a moment to turn there in your Bibles if you have them. Otherwise, you can watch on the screen and follow along as we go. So I'll ask you to rise for the reading of God's Word. So Genesis 50, beginning at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Here it is, do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God, key words in Scripture, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be with us here this morning as we dive into your word, that your Holy Spirit would be at work to open our, our hearts to crack them open if need be, God, so that you can administer the healing balm of the gospel. Teach us about forgiveness and your forgiveness of us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Here's the, the main idea for today's message. I'm going to give it to you right out of the gate, okay? Here it is. Forgiveness is the beautiful, hard non-linear, messy mainstay of the Christian life. Forgiveness is the beautiful, hard, non-linear, messy mainstay of the Christian life. In a recent study in Journal of Psychology and Health, researchers, they asked 1,423, I don't know why that number is specific, but apparently, that many American adults to rate themselves on how likely they were to forgive themselves or to forgive others for hurting them. And in addition to that, they also ask them questions about their sleep. Okay, how well are you sleeping? The results suggested that people who were more forgiving were more likely to sleep better and for longer and in turn have better physical health. Forgiveness may help individuals leave the day's regrets and offenses in the past and promote sound sleep. 
Otherwise, as many troubled sleepers have experienced, we might have too much on our minds to get any rest. People who don't forgive, researchers explain, tend to linger on unpleasant thoughts and feelings, such as anger, blame, and regret. This can involve painful rumination, repetitive thoughts about distress. The resentment or bitterness could be detracting from sleep quality and even your well-being, is what the research suggests. I'm going to go out on a limb this morning, and maybe somebody can prove me wrong here. Two hardest words in the English language. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When is the last time you spoke those words? Not just thought them, not just felt them, not just said what the politicians say. Mistakes were made. But actually said those words to another human being. Undeniably accepting responsibility for wrongdoing. This is a hard thing to do, isn't it? We always want to defend ourselves. There's always some small part of us that wants to, ex- wants to claim extenuating circumstances. Yeah? Maybe we didn't do everything right. Sure, nobody's perfect, but we still feel the need to justify ourselves to save face. Does anybody here remember when you were a kid and you do something wrong? You, you didn't really care. You were, you were, you just had it. You did something wrong, but you didn't really care about it. And your parents would say, all right, you did this to your brother and sister. Go to them and say, I'm sorry, right? I remember this happening to me as a kid a lot. I think that says more about me than it does my parents. Um, but we'd say, say you're sorry, Right? And then I remember as a kid, I'd mumble some half-hearted apology for locking my brother out of the house, even though he fully deserved it, you know, at the time, right? Like, he was kind of asking for it. Um, and now as a parent, I do the same thing. Sometimes it's like getting teeth to get your kids to say, I'm sorry, you're saying it through gritted teeth to apologize. Sometimes it's like you've got you to squeeze it out of them. And this really used to bother me because I thought, well, they don't mean it then. Right? They're just saying the words, they're just going through the motions, they're just gritting their teeth, and like it, it doesn't count as a real apology if I don't really mean it. But as I've gotten older, I've come to a different conclusion. Because I wonder, are our motives as adults any purer? Do we always apologize for the right reasons? Do I ever say I'm sorry because I 100% feel bad about what I did wrong? Or is there some sliver of me that, that just wants to escape punishment or avoid anything uncomfortable, avoid an uncomfortable situation, right? Have I ever issued an apology where my motives are 100% pure? I guess what I'm, what I'm asking is, is, is that question. Or is it the case, as Isaiah tells us, that even my best attempts are still tainted with sin? That my righteous garments are a polluted rag? Are good deeds? I don't know if you've had this happen, but you say an apology, like you finally work up the gumption to say it, and then you second-guess yourself. You're like, hold on, 
was I really in the wrong there? I mean, my wife was the one who made me watch Downton Abbey in the first place, and that's why I'm so angry. This is just me, I guess, apparently. We're getting off into some Pastor Luke territory. But you get what I'm saying, right? There's always this, this part of us that feels the need to justify it. Now, here's what I've come to believe, though. I think adults are just as resistant to kids to saying, I'm sorry. The only difference is that we're more clever about how to avoid it. And I think we can construct more elaborate arguments to exonerate ourselves. To say those two little words, three syllables, I'm sorry, you have to swallow your pride. You've got to be honest about your darker angels in a way that goes against every impulse in the human body. So we'll do anything to, to get around it. But here's the thing. Healing can only happen if we're honest about our mistakes. And that goes for parents as well as kids. You know, maybe especially parents. In a recent episode of The Mockingcast, one of the hosts said that, that all children really want to hear three things from their parents. They want to hear three different things. Do you know what they are? I love you, I'm proud of you, and I'm sorry. I love you, I'm proud of you, I'm sorry. So make it your goal, I, I don't give out advice generally, but I, I find this to be true for myself, that it's helpful to, to make it a goal as a parent to say I'm sorry to my kid when I mess up in a counterintuitive way it actually deepens the relationship. Now, Joseph's brothers didn't want to say, I'm sorry. Rather than owning up to their sin, and it was a big sin, they threw Joseph in a pit, they sold him, basically gave him up for dead. What did they do? Well, they covered it over, made up this, this lie about how he was torn apart by wild animals, and then they told their dad about it and let him believe this for decades, that his son had been destroyed in this horrific way. And then later on when they see Joseph in Egypt, before they, they recognize him, they're actually still not totally honest with him about their history. They're still trying to cover up their past mistakes. Now they repent, but even here, it's God who does the heavy lifting. He has to, to U-turn them. This is what the word repentance really means is to do a U-turn. As it says in Jeremiah 31, 18b, turn thou me and I shall be turned. I can't turn myself. I can't do a U-turn. I don't have that ability within me to be going one way and to turn and decide to go the other way. I need God. I need the Holy Spirit to do that for me. You think of the lamb that the sheep that goes astray, and Jesus does what? He picks it up, puts it on his shoulders, and brings him back. Okay, but now that I think about it, hear me out here. I wonder if there's actually something that's harder to say than, than I'm sorry. How about the words, I forgive you? <laughs> I forgive you. When is the last time you said those words? 
out loud. Again, not just like thinking them in your, in your head or saying something like, oh, don't worry about it or it's not a big deal. Which, by the way, when we say those kinds of phrases, uh, a lot of times it's actually belittling the other person's apology because it's not acknowledging that they have done anything wrong. We're implying that even though their conscience is telling them they, they did something bad and God is telling them that they broke his law, we're kind of telling them, well, it doesn't matter all that much. So anyway, I forgive you. How often do you say those words? And what would it look like for them to be a regular part of our vocabulary? I forgive you. It's hard to ask for forgiveness, but it is hard to grant forgiveness too, isn't it? It's so much easier to cling to old hurts and point to the past and to hold people accountable for every misstep. But as Edward Herbert, who was a 17th century English judge, says, he says, he that cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he must pass himself. That's so true, isn't it? He that cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he must pass himself. In other words, we need forgiveness too. It's not just that other person who who's wronged us. We, we are in need of, of forgiveness every day. But withholding forgiveness comes a lot more natural to us than granting it, doesn't it? Here's kind of how our minds work. We have like this, this instant replay button. And we love this button. It's our favorite button to press. We press that button. We rewatch again and again and again the ways that, that we were hurt, the ways that we were betrayed, the ways that people sinned against us, that injustice was perpetrated against us. And we watch it over and over and over and over to remind ourselves of the ways we were wronged. But forgiveness means inserting a new tape into the VCR. Yes, I'm that old. I'm okay with it. And overwriting the wrongs that were done and beginning with a blank slate. And that is tough to do. Forgiveness is hard, isn't it? One of my favorite bands, Need to Breathe, just put out a new album this week. So, of course, I was looking for a way to, to work that into my sermon, and I, and I got it here. And there's a song called When You Forgive Someone. He's talking about his own bitterness towards someone, just how it eats him up inside. The lyrics go like this. I couldn't see I was the only hostage to the bitterness I can't let go. Maybe now it's time to cut my losses. Move on, move on, move on. Oh, I can't believe how long it's lasted. I can feel it coming up these bones. There's a part of me that can't get past it. I got these reasons that I just can't get there. They hold me down. But I can tell you that the journey to justice, it never ends up fair. You can hear what he's saying, right? You hear that first line in particular. I couldn't see that I was the only hostage. It's a striking picture of unforgiveness and holding ourselves hostage. But the song doesn't stop there. The lyrics continue and they take a turn in a more hopeful direction, away from pure condemnation and towards mercy. They say, all that's heavy on my soul, lay it down and let it go, because when you forgive someone, you set yourself free. 
And when you forgive someone, you set yourself free. Forgiveness means freedom. One of the Greek words that's used for forgiveness is afiemi. Afiemi. Can you say that with me? Afiemi. And what this word means is to send away, to cast away. It's the same word Jesus uses when he forgives the paralytic in Luke 5, 20. He says, your sins are forgiven. It's the same words he used when he forgives the prostitute in Luke 7, 48. And in John 20, 23, when he's talking to his disciples and he gives them the authority to forgive sins. See, forgive means to send away. To give up a debt by not demanding. And ultimately, forgiveness means making the choice to not treat people the way that they deserve. To send away. You send the person one direction, you send their sins the other direction, and you agree that those two will never meet again. That their identity is not tied up in, in the wrong that, that they have done. This is what Joseph did with his brothers. He sent their sins away. He didn't exact a pound of flesh, although according to strict justice, he certainly could have. He probably wanted to. Instead, he acted compassionately toward them. Genesis 43.30 says, Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother. He sought a place to weep. His compassion grew warm for the ones who had wronged him. Joseph provides us with this beautiful example of forgiveness, doesn't he? But Joseph does something more. What, what Joseph points ahead toward is someone else, someone greater, the only true hero of the Bible, and, and he offers his forgiveness to you this morning. Ephesians 1, 7 says, "...in him that is in Jesus we have redemption through his blood." The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. You see, like Joseph was his father's beloved son, Jesus was God's only begotten beloved son, His heavenly father's. And like Joseph was hated and treated harshly by his brothers, Jesus was mocked, despised, and rejected and crucified by a world that didn't want Him, a world that included you and me the very ones he came to save. Like Joseph was sold for the price of a slave, Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Like Joseph was punished by Potiphar for a crime he did not commit, Jesus was punished for sins he did not commit, that he wasn't guilty of your sins and mine. To do what? To set us free. And like Joseph, Jesus offers us his forgiveness over and over again, he speaks those little words that we are so loath to speak, and he never gets tired of speaking them. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. It never runs dry. His mercies never run dry. They are new every morning. No matter how many times you fail, no matter how many bad things that you've done, the thing that your conscience won't let you forget, did you know that Jesus forgets them? Or more accurately, 
accurately, he chooses to not remember them anymore, casting them as far as the east is from the west. And when you believe that, and when you trust in that, see, that forgiveness is fully yours as well. In a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. And communion is one of the places where we get to taste and see that the Lord is good, certainly. But it's also somewhere where He offers us, He delivers to us forgiveness of sin. At the Last Supper, Jesus said these words to His disciples. And He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sin. What is communion for? Forgiveness of sin. If you believe you lack righteousness, you are welcome at the Lord's table. If you sense that you are unworthy and that you need Jesus, you are welcome at the Lord's table. See, the Lord's Supper isn't this Hall of Fame inauguration dinner for saints. It's a life-sustaining meal for desperate, hungry sinners, for people who are broken and contrite and recognize they need Jesus to make them whole. It's really that simple. Forgiveness is the hard, messy, beautiful, nonlinear mainstay of the Christian life. So may we be quick to say, I'm sorry. Quick to say, I forgive you. See, forgiveness changes the game. Will you let it change you this morning? Let's pray. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.